From Religion News Service, this is Beliefs, Ideas Behind the News of Religion. I'm Bill Baker. Christchurch, New Zealand, 49 people shot dead at two mosques in a terrorist attack. A man has been charged with murder, having streamed the killings on a Facebook live stream and published a racist manifesto online. This week on Beliefs, we are turning the show over to our friends and colleagues at the Religion News Foundation podcast, Recite Islam, hosted by Qasem Rashid. The talk has been edited for length. Visit religionnews.org slash recite Islam for the entire conversation. Welcome to a special episode of Recite Islam. My name is Qasim Rashid. I'm joined by my co-host Salam Bhatti. And while we are currently building out season three, we felt compelled to pause for a moment to reflect and remember the departed and discuss what we can do moving forward. So Salam, first let's just talk a little bit about these martyrs who were brutally gunned down by a white supremacist. You know, as I look at these beautiful faces, I see beautiful children as young as three and elderly uncles, grandparents that that we would call if we were at the mosque in their 70s and everyone in between. And it's really heartbreaking because every face that I see is a face that I feel like I've seen at our mosques when we go there. There are some great uh, threads on Twitter, uh, one especially by Khalid Beydoun, who's actually listing out with a picture and a story every single one of these you know, 50 victims. Uh, and it's just heartbreaking to see, you know, these smiling faces. These were people who were just, you know, 72, 80 hours ago were alive, living full lives. And now it's it's everything has changed for all their loved ones and for their friends. And it's absolutely powerful to be able to read these stories and connect with them. And you're right, you know, these are people you see in your mosque. They look just the same. When a person dies, Islam, the Quran teaches us that we recite the prayer Inna lillahi wa inna ilahi rajiun. And the translation of that short Arabic prayer is that indeed or surely from God we are and to God must we return. It's a reminder, an affirmation that this life is temporary and we will all eventually pass away and return to our maker. But it's also a glad tiding that death is not the end of life. It's simply a transition to the next life. And we believe with all of our hearts and souls that these noble people who were martyred are most certainly in the company of God and may God's mercy descend upon them. And and there's nothing we can do to change what happened, but I think we can remember and reflect over the lives they lived. And Salam, you know, one of the stories that's emerged from this is the story of the prime minister of New Zealand. You know, I'm blown away with her compassion and leadership within 24 hours She committed to reforming gun laws. And what's more, her compassion and love isn't just lip service. She's not just going for a photo op. She's spending immense time there. And she has said that the government will not only pay for all the funerals, but will also ensure that those who lost income 
are cared for not just this year, but for years on end until they can be made whole again. That is a powerful example of servant leadership. And that is something that Islam exemplifies. Uh, We are taught that a true leader is one who serves their people. And what the prime minister of New Zealand is doing is just that. It's an element of justice uh, that when you have a responsibility on your shoulders of that uh, that leadership, you know, you are to serve the people. And she is doing just that. Uh, it's absolutely um, amazing to see the the heartwarming gestures that she's doing uh, to her citizens, because there are people in other parts of the world who do not receive that type of compassion from their leadership. Uh, and uh, it's something that a lot of people are, as a result, concerned for. Uh, and, but there is hope when you see these things happening in New Zealand, this this outpouring of support, uh, and it's really just really loving to see that. So Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, I loved you when you were on the Colbert uh, show. Well, not the Colbert show anymore, but the the, uh, the Tonight Show or the Late Night Show, whatever show he's on. I, I loved her when she was on there, and I thought this is a really special person. And now to see her grace under fire literally is is also powerful and inspiring. What's really um, just um, astounding is that these people who, who were martyred were from all over the world. Uh, this is truly a, a tragedy for the whole world uh, as a result as well, because you had people from Palestine, from Syria, from Pakistan, Bangladesh, people who were native to uh, New Zealand as well. Uh, and so the the ripple that this is causing, the shockwave that is hitting the earth from this terrible attack is being felt in so many ways in so many parts of the world, especially considering that a lot of these people fled persecution and they fled war-torn nations for a better life and unfortunately met uh, a tragic end uh, in their new home. So it's also important to, to reflect on that, that there are people, everybody out there that you see is Uh, involved in some sort of jihad and some sort of struggle that you just don't know about. So be kind to each other is very important. So I think that leads us to the second part of how did it come to this? How did we get here? What's going on, Kasim? Well, I'm going to be talking about this in a couple of media interviews forthcoming. And what we find as we study the rise of white nationalism, white supremacy, is that there's a fringe group that has hijacked a significant amount of airtime a significant amount of efficiency uh, in and growth. The FBI reports that white supremacists in the United States, for example, are growing even faster on Twitter than are ISIS terrorists, uh, Daesh imbeciles. And that's frightening. And you compound that with world leaders legitimizing white nationalist rhetoric, uh, including uh, you know the president of the United States, you've got the senator from Australia, you got certain parties on the far right in the United Kingdom, certainly in Germany, uh, in Austria, in Italy. It's a frightening rise of far right extremism. And it's important that people begin to understand that while we need to certainly protect free speech and a free exchange of ideas, there's no value in speech that dehumanizes and belittles. Criticizing an idea is not the problem here. But when you refer to Muslims as serpents, as primitive monkeys, as invaders, as a disease, as uh, people coming to destroy you, you're creating this false narrative. You're creating fear and misinformation. 
and you're radicalizing young people to commit horrific acts. Now, to be sure, Salama, I want to be very clear about this. I tweeted about this too. The terrorist is responsible for his own act. End of story. However, recognizing that he's responsible for his own act doesn't preclude the conversation of how words have consequences and how by demonizing an already marginalized community, the history shows us, we know this for a fact, that you necessarily end up increasing violence and terrorism against them. And so to separate the two, I think, is foolish because history proves otherwise, and this example proves otherwise as well. What What's going on, you know, this, this rhetoric that's growing, it really reminds me of something that, you know, Master Yoda said in the Star Wars uh, series. And I think before I say what he said, I think the first thing that should be involved is that ignorance leads to fear. And then Master Yoda says that fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. And hate leads to suffering. So when we look at this ignorance, we know that Pew reported a few years ago that over 60% of Americans don't know a Muslim. Like there's no Muslim in their social circle. And as a result, that creates an ignorance. So if you don't know somebody who is different from you, that ignorance can lead to a fear. You can have people who are in an echo chamber saying the same things and it'll just heighten and heighten and grow and grow. So this fear can lead to the anger, you know, scapegoating Muslims or as we've seen in history, scapegoating Jews. Uh, and as a result, that anger will lead to a hate and then that hate leads to suffering. And, and we're seeing that manifest all and the time in the world. Yeah. And we don't even need to go to far history. I mean, the 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 synagogue that was attacked in Pittsburgh last year, the, the hate that attacked that synagogue is the same hate that attacked this mosque in New Zealand, uh, in Christchurch. And, and we have to recognize that this is the same uh, theme. So uh, and as long as we tolerate this type of violent rhetoric, this dehumanizing rhetoric under the guise of free speech, what we're actually doing is diminishing free speech. I did an analysis and looked at countries that have hate speech laws that forbid dehumanizing a minority. And I want to be clear, these aren't laws of banning criticism of an idea or of a religion. Those are blasphemy laws. That's very different. We're talking about laws that forbid people from referring to Jews or Muslims or marginalized communities as animals or as vermin or just dehumanizing them. Basically the same rhetoric that the Nazis used prior to the Holocaust. And each country that has these also has lower rates of violence, lower rates of hate crimes, and higher degrees of human freedom and free speech. So what seems like a paradox is actually very logical that when you have laws that protect the right of people to not be abused and harassed and violated, you create an environment where there is a freer exchange of ideas. However, when you permit terrorist organizations like Daesh or Nazis to promote their genocidal ambitions, then it frightens people into silence because they would rather be silent but alive as opposed to talkative but, but dead. And, and that's the simplest way I can put it. Karl Popper, the philosopher, you should look up his work. He does some phenomenal research in this space. And, and so we have to really think about do we want to live in a society where we can celebrate calling Jews a dehumanizing name, uh, where we can incite violence against them in the name of free speech? And the answer has to be no. That can't be the society we want to live in. And, and anyone who, who does that to Jews, to Muslims, to any marginalized community is not somebody who is advancing society. They're harming society immensely. 
So the question then, Salam, yeah. and, and let's shift to the third part. I want to hear your thoughts on this. How do we fix this? How do we go from where we are now to where we need to be, where we can have a free exchange of ideas without terrorists killing each other? I want to call back to His Holiness Mirza Masur Ahmad, the current Khalifa of Islam, who has addressed hate speech in a very profound way. He says, let it not be in the name of free speech that the world is destroyed. Mm. I mean, His Holiness's words are so impactful in such few words uh, that we have to come at this with justice and with a heavy hand. Uh, we need that law and order, not just in all other parts of uh, society, but also when it comes to free speech, that we cannot tolerate hate speech. Because you're right, Gossip, the places where hate speech is banned do a lot better. And unfortunately, we're letting it run amok, unchecked here in America. So then what do we do? You know, we've talked about ignorance leading to all this hate and the suffering. Uh, we've talked about hate speech uh, and how bad it is. So how do we move forward? What can we do? Well, Gossip, this is... This is like one of the one of the most profound things that I think God has shown us throughout history, throughout religious history, is the common core teaching in all faiths. It's not about believing in God or any any of your duties to God, but your duties to man, which is to love your neighbor. Every single faith talks about loving your neighbor. And how do you love your neighbor? Well, you have to get to know them. That's very important. Uh, of course, it's not necessary. Your neighbor could be anybody you pass on the street, but it's really great to know who your neighbor is and to learn about them, see if they're hungry, see if they need to be fed, see if they're suffering in some sort of way so that you can help them or see if they're in a, in a, in a happy time and see if they're celebrating something so you can celebrate with them too. And once we love our neighbors as ourselves, then we can really root this ignorance and this hate speech out. One of my favorite verses of the Quran is when God says that we have created you into tribes and sub-tribes so that you'll recognize one another. And that's a key component because it demonstrates that our differences aren't a means of division, but they're a means of recognition and appreciation. And when I recognize you, uh, Salam, or when I recognize uh, someone who's important to you, uh, when you recognize somebody on the house floor, uh, when you recognize somebody on the Senate floor, you're giving them due respect. And this is what the Quran says, that you recognize those who are different than you. You give them the due respect that every human being deserves. And, you know, and, the, and, the, and what I'll add along with that is we need to take personal accountability over this as well. We can't just rely on what politicians and pundits, whether they're liberal or conservative, are saying. This is something that we need to take independent responsibility over in reaching out to our neighbors. And, and rather than living in fear of, we're supposed to fear this demographic or that demographic, have the conversation yourself and make your own minds based on your own investigative research. I, I feel like we've become so insulated in technology that uh, people will scream at you from behind a screen, or a computer screen or a tablet or, or an iPhone, but they're not having uh, taking the initiative to come out and meet you in real life or have a, a, an honest and, and genuine conversation. I mean, I know for me on social media, I'll not take seriously anybody who attacks me behind an anonymous profile. But if somebody has their real name and, and has an actual profile and they ask me an even critical question, I'm happy to respond to them because I respect the fact that they're open and public and they're trying to engage uh, because I assume positive intent. But until and unless we take that initiative ourselves, we can't expect politicians to solve this. It just doesn't work that way. 
there's a lot of mosques out there that do outreach events, uh, building awareness events, even something as um, uh, intimate as, you know, something called Coffee, Cake and True Islam, where people will meet outside in coffee shops or even at the mosque so that non-Muslims and other Muslims as well can ask questions that they might have about what Islam is. So if there is a house of worship that you've never visited, whether it's a, a, a Muslim house of worship, a Jewish house of worship, any religion, and you want to just, you know, you're curious or you want to learn about them or you want to make a friend who is of that faith, reach out, get to know that neighbor uh, and build that awareness yourself. You know, Gossam, you're right. You know, the social media that we have that people hide behind is really hurting us a lot. There was there's a lot of news reports coming out how Facebook is ruining an entire nation. I forget which nation is this, but it's in like Southeast Asia where Facebook has provided it, the internet for them. But the only way they can uh, access that free internet is through Facebook. So yeah, all the news the they get yeah, it's the Philippines. The yeah. Philippines. Yeah. And you see how how, you know, how tragic it's it's become over there. There's a lot of uh, acts of hate happening, not just talking, but a lot of acts of hate happening. Yeah. Um, and so we see the power of uh, the harmful power, the dark side of the power of just staying in the comfort of your own home and typing on a screen. Uh, but then we also see the powerful nature of leaving your house, knocking on your neighbor's doors and getting to meet them and, and making some real friends. And that's something that's really important. Uh, you don't need social media to have a social circle. Well said. We'll stop there. But one thing we'll encourage each of you to do is just a double down on what Salam said. You know, reach out to your local mosque, just call and say hello and say, yeah, I want to come by. You don't need to bring any gifts or, or money or flowers or candy. You just need to be there. Being present goes a long way. And simply having that conversation goes a long way. We hope and pray that the, the families who are, who are grieving right now are given comfort in this most difficult time. Our hearts go out to them, our prayers go out to them. And we hope and pray you stay safe. You know, Salam, uh, one of our mosques, uh, Masjid Masroor uh, in uh, Queensland, Australia, was about to host a vigil uh, for the victims of the New Zealand attack. And just a few hours before it started, uh, uh, some lunatic drove his car into the gate got out and started yelling you know, racial epithets and, and you know, vulgarities at the, the Muslims inside the mosque. Again, you know, there's that concern. Are people going to be copycats? We certainly hope not. Now, the imam of that mosque is, is a good friend of ours, and he's actually invited this person who's currently in jail that once you get out, come by the mosque and let's try to build a bridge. I mean, that takes courage and compassion and certainly some risk. But that's where we are right now, and, and, and hopefully we can win the hearts and minds and stop these kinds of attacks, but likewise take the necessary practical protocols. Government needs to crack down on these extremists. They need to uphold justice and fairness and create an environment where we can truly dialogue without fear of somebody killing us just because we believe in a different faith than they do. Uh, I wanna just end with uh, a verse from the Quran in chapter three, verse 170, where God says, think not of those who have been slain in the cause of Allah as dead, Nay, they are living in the presence of their Lord and are granted gifts from him. A beautiful verse. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, thank you all for listening, for requesting your prayers for peace around the world, for peace for marginalized communities, and encouraging you to be actively involved in uh, creating that peaceful world that we all want. Until next time, thank you. We love you. And peace be with you.
we're so grateful to Qasem Rashid of Recite Islam for taking the show this week. You can listen to other episodes of their podcast along with beliefs at religionnews.com. The conversation continues on our Facebook page and we tweet at Beliefs Podcast. If you like our program, come review us on iTunes. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. Jay Woodward is our producer. The theme music is by Edward Billis. I'm Bill Baker, and thank you for listening.